Church, it is good to be here. Um, regretfully so, there's a few folks who are missing, but um, we love you if you're on or not. Uh, we, we, we love our church, we love our people, and um, you know, the thing that brings, I don't know, me the most joy every week really is, is this time, and we all know there are those moments when we can't be here, and uh, we miss you when that's you. I know you miss me when it's me. Uh, I was just thinking a couple weeks ago, I was out uh, preaching at a church in the mountains and bringing the, the gospel there, and um, you know, there's a longing that happens when you're not here, and that's I think the way it should be. Uh, for some of us, our family really does reside in the house of God, and so we are here to gather and worship. Friends, I want to tell you, Christmas is a weird time. There's a lot of reasons why I could follow up with that, right? I mean, a ton. But one of the reasons I think that Christmas is a weird time is because we use these lofty and extravagant words to describe the humble and lowly baby in a manger. Like, there is not a time of the year that I feel like we use bigger words, more flowery and flowy and all these things, than the Christmas season and during the Christmas season, our focus is on what? This tiny little baby. It's as if the creator of the universe stuffed himself into the tiny form of a child. It is as if the most powerful son of God made himself weak in order to rescue some such as us. Some of us, we may have trouble seeing the baby for all the glory. What I mean by that is, is sometimes we focus so big, and I think the reason we do is because we don't want to think about the lowly. We are more comfortable, some of us, maybe all of us, with a big God than a small one or a weak one. Last week, Scott began our time of Advent with one of the loftiest passages that anyone could, and rightfully so. The majesty and the glory and the power of Christ on display for all to see at the beginning of chapter uh, 1 of the book of Hebrews. It is one of my favorite sections of scripture and has been for a decade. So lofty, so big, so huge. And Scott did a great job of bringing to us the seven excellencies of Christ. And while he did that, he also brought to us the three offices of Christ. King, priest, and prophet. We're still talking pretty big, aren't we? We truly worship the amazing Christ, the Son of God, the King of creation, the priest of humanity, and the prophet declaring God. And in the book of Hebrews, we're given this big picture of the might and power of Christ. And we should be in awe. Crushed. You and I crushed by the weight of the glory of Christ. But of course, the 
glory of God is not limited to the book of Hebrews. We find it on every page of Scripture, even in the Christmas story. We know the celebration of the coming of Christ centers around the birth of the forever king of this earth. The king who is above every government, every power, and every authority. This king in the Christmas story would become the forever priest. Taking away the sins of the world and advocating for us while sitting at the father's side. You can find all of that in the normal verses of the Christmas story. The beginning of Matthew and the beginning of the book of Luke. But don't ignore John, where the king, the forever priest, would speak with words of God because he was God, the word, in John 1. And yes, the first chapter of the book of John is as much a Christmas story as the beginning chapters of Matthew and Luke, just a little bit loftier and a little bit farther back, tracing. Well, let me tell you, sometimes all of this, and some of you are getting the point, I'm, I'm doing it on purpose, there's sometimes a little too much lofty when it comes to this, especially in the Christmas season. Because beyond us and beyond our hope, beyond our need, what we know is that Jesus came to save the world. And in the course of history, and in the size of the world, and in all those who have lived, do live, and will live until Jesus comes back, who am I? Who am I? This tiny, short-lived man in Lahana, Colorado. What I want to do this week and what we're going to do the next few weeks is ground the Christmas story in the life that Jesus lived and the ways that he ministered. And my hope for us is that we would see not just the big and the lofty of God, but how it actually flows into the little of you and I. I want to take the lofty and I want to make it lowly. See, this is the very thing that Christ did in his incarnation. He took the largest thing that has ever been, himself, and brought it down. And that's what I want to do for the next few weeks. He laid down his glory, his majesty, his power, his might, being born as a baby, whose first bed was a feed trough, whose first visitors were outcast shepherds from a nearby field. Because it's my conviction as I've been thinking about this and praying about it, that us here in Lahana, Colorado, identify with that a whole lot more than the, the king showing up, or the wise men showing up with gold and frankincense and myrrh and this grand and big. But sometimes we lose sight of it. Today I want to be in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. This is not a Christmas story. It will be today. Starting in verse 1, Matthew chapter 8 again, says, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. 
And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. And this is a display of Christ. The Christ, the actual Christ, the Christ that was known, the Christ who walked this earth, the Christ that I believe we can know and I pray would know even more so today. Let me paint you a picture of what's going on in this a little bit. Jesus is coming off the mountain, and that mountain is the mountain where he preached the Sermon on the Mount, arguably the best sermon that has ever been preached in the history of humanity. So full that none of us could hope or dream to live at all. And yet, so full that Christ lives it in us. He has been preaching on the mountain for hours. And there is a crowd that is gathered around him. In verse 28 and 29, this crowd is amazed. Let me read this for us. Because when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. There's something different about Jesus. There's something different about the one who preaches the word of God, who is the word of God. That should just make sense to us. But the crowd doesn't actually know what's going on yet. They're clueless. But there is a crowd that is following Jesus off of this mountain. They want to hear more. They want to experience more. And as they're coming down from the mountain, a leper meets them. So picture this. You got Jesus, and kind of behind him is just this crowd of people. There's noise, there's a buzz, there's excitement. And then suddenly something strange happens, right? We know it's strange that this leper would show up, because the text tells us it is. Matthew, who wrote this, he says this in verse 2, And behold, a leper came to him. Now, if you're looking at an NIV, they don't even translate that word, behold. They just ignore it. That's a problem. Because this word matters in this story. It's not just something to throw away. The word behold here literally means to, hey, look at this. It tells us in the modern time that something weird is happening. Something that is to be unexpected. It says, behold, a leper came to him. This is a command to notice something. We might say to one another, hey, look at that. Look at that. Or the less tactful person might ask, what the heck is going on? Okay? 
Because suddenly out of the crowd, or through the crowd, or at least standing before the Jesus, before the Jesus, before Jesus, is a leper who's come to see Jesus. Now, we don't know a lot about leprosy, and that's okay. The good news is we don't need to know a lot about leprosy because we don't have a lot of lepers anymore. But leprosy was a common name for a number of skin diseases, some of which were contagious, some of which deadened nerve endings in such a way that when you got an injury, say on your fingers or your toes or your face or whatever, you wouldn't really know about it. And because you didn't know about it, it would get infected, and before long, toes would fall off. Leprosy was grotesque and gross and horrible, and it was one of the most feared things in the history of humanity. And it's not just limited to this place and this time. And yes, there actually are still lepers in the world. Um, it is largely a dead disease, but there are still uh, some places where this happens and where you see this, and there are leper colonies still uh, where there are people who are being served, I think particularly by the people of God in many of them. Lepers were feared. And because they were feared, they were pushed to the outside of society, not welcome to be around or to live with um, those who were not lepers. Lepers were seen as those who were cursed by God. They were excluded from the temple. For the full time of their illness, declared to be unclean and unfit for worship. The fate of a leper was isolation and nothing but. And this would last the rest of their lives. Or until a cure, which was incredibly rare, happened. All right, so getting back to the scene, you got Jesus and this crowd behind him, they're following, and behold, a leper is standing in front of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. This is shocking, it's scandalous. It might be a little like sneezing at Walmart right now. There's a fear that's growing in the crowd. Anxiety is rising. Right? Behold, the leper speaks. Simple words of declaration, confidence and desperation. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Hear the hope and hear the desperation in this. And behold, Jesus stretches out his hand and he touches the leper. Touches the leper. Nobody did that. And behold, behold, Jesus says, I will be clean. So Jesus, with no PPE, touches someone for whom nobody touched even with PPE. Isn't it weird that we know what PPE is now? I didn't nine months ago. Personal protective equipment. Rubber gloves, masks, those sorts of things. He touches the leper. Friends, he breathes the same air that the leper is breathing out. He speaks directly to the leper, and he says, I will be clean. And behold, 
We're still holding out of that behold, right? It lasts all the way through this. Behold, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Church, let me just say this. Behold, the Christ child born in a manger, the one that had been waited for for so long. Behold, that's the Jesus that we're reading about in Matthew 8, 1 through 4, who's willing to touch a leper and speak to him and declare that he will be made clean. And yes, friends, this is the same Jesus that in one way or another you and I are waiting for too. Amen? We worship a Jesus. We worship a Jesus who breaks that bounds of of everything to love the people around him. What we want to do today is continue to land this story in um, in this uh, idea, right, of the Christ that is accessible, the Christ that comes to us. And what we're going to do, and we're going to take a lofty thing and bring it low, and that is we're going to take those three offices of Christ, king, priest, and prophet, into this story and see how that plays out. My hope for us is that we will then see how that plays out for Alex. There's a chance, right, for Christians to do that. To see how those, how who Christ is actually touches this right here in Lahana, Colorado. Amen? Friends, what I want us to see first is that Christ demonstrates his power over illness. Christ demonstrates his power over illness. Why? Because Jesus is king. Do we throw these concepts out or all over the place? Jesus is king, right? He's the king. What does that mean? Well, here in this passage, what it means is that he is sovereign over illness. He is. He proves it in just a few words, in a simple act here. As he lays his hands on someone and says, be clean. He demonstrated it in the healings of other lepers, of the blind, of the lame, of the dying, and the sick. He is sovereign over illness. And he is sovereign over illness. Why? Because he is sovereign over all things. Jesus is in control. He is the king over everything. There is nothing outside of his sovereign purview. On the mountain, Jesus had just been preaching. And his preaching demonstrated something to those who heard. It demonstrated his kingship in his words and his teaching. As one who is, it says in verse 28 and 29 of chapter 7, authority. See, to be king over something, to be sovereign, is to have authority. And there are many who would claim authority in and over our lives, but none of them have an authority over us like Christ. None of them can actually do all that they say they want to do. Take, for example, our own governor in the great state of Colorado. An authority, some 
might say. And let me say this really quickly. Someone that you and I, if Christ is our king, should be praying for every single day. Because the scripture tells us to pray for our leaders. And that includes the civic leaders, the government leaders, whether we agree with them or disagree. In fact, I would argue that those we disagree are people we should be praying for more. Because not only are we praying for them as our leaders, but we might be praying for them because we perceive of them as an enemy. And Christ tells us to do what? To also pray for our enemies. The governor has an authority in some way. Goals to protect the people in this state from COVID-19. But it seems to me that, that the more authority he attempts to exercise, the more this thing gets out of control. Right? That's what it feels like to me at this point. Now I want to say we should not judge him for that after all. You and I, we attempt to exercise authority over our lives and what happens? Nothing good, if we're honest. Right? We try to take control and say I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And what, what is God saying? Really? Really? Because that's the thing, there is only one true authority. And it's not me over me, it's not our governor over us, it's the king. It's the king. Jesus is king. And on this mountainside, with this leper, he demonstrates his kingship, his sovereign power. And the question is, why? Why here? And maybe not somewhere else. I think it's because in this moment, in this moment, on the side of this mountain or at the bottom of this mountain, whatever it is, in this moment, the leper, whether in hope or in desperation, or both, turns to him and gives him sovereign control over his life. Right? The leper comes to him and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He's saying to, to Christ, to the to Jesus, you are my king. And whatever happens next is up to you. Whatever happens next is up to you. And I'm okay with it. This leper didn't know that Jesus was going to heal him. And surely there are times when Jesus did not heal people in the way they wanted or expected them to. But in this moment, the leper gives him control and Jesus takes it and Jesus heals this man because he is king over his illness friends what i want us to know today as we're sitting in this room in this place is that there is no illness beyond his control the honest truth is that covid could be done like that if he wanted it to be but for some reason that's not what's happened I've prayed that prayer. I trust many of you have as well, that the Lord would just remove this thing. Here's the interesting thing. When we pray that way, you know what we're doing? We're declaring to him that he is, in fact, king over all of it. Friends, there is no illness that is beyond his control. There is no addiction that is beyond his control. There is no sin that we are stuck in that is beyond his control. There is nothing that we are enslaved to 
that is beyond his control. And the question for the believer, for you and I, if you are a believer, is simply this. Do we actually trust him to be king over all of these things? Or, or do we keep holding on to the authority and the power over us with clenched fists? Jesus demonstrates his power over illness because he is king in this leper's life. Amen? The next thing he demonstrates is his power to cleanse and to declare clean. And why does that matter? Because Jesus is the priest. And it was the priest's job to cleanse and to declare clean. If you go to verses 3 through 4 in here, we see, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus has the power to cleanse and to declare clean. And that's important here. We'll see why. The power of leprosy to destroy someone's life was not in the risk of body parts falling off. Okay? To us, that sounds like the worst thing that could happen. The power of leprosy in someone's life to destroy their life was the isolation that it caused and the permanent status of ritual uncleanness. Isolation and uncleanness. That is why leprosy was so terrible. Because on the one hand, in isolation, when you had leprosy, you had no family, no friends, nobody from your former life. All you had were fellow lepers who were also stuck off on the side. But not only did you have isolation, you had ritual uncleanness. And in the Jewish faith, ritual uncleanness meant simply that you had no part in the worship of God with the people of God. None. You could not go to the temple. You could not go before the Lord. You could not offer sacrifices. You could not get married. You could not do anything if you were unclean. Most of us do not know the heartache of long-term isolation. Though I would venture to guess that some of us have experienced in this year a week or two or three or four of isolation, and we almost went nuts. Some of us may know what it's like to be estranged from those we love, whether family and marriage or friends that we have had, to have a desire to be with someone and to not be there anymore, not be allowed to be there. Most of us do not know the weight of the declaration of the word unclean. But I would venture to guess that every one of us has carried around a label with us that has separated us from stuff that we have loved or cared about. Labels like addict. Easy. 
right? There are a lot of labels that we can wear that are equal to the label of unclean. And in some places, those sorts of labels have kept people out of the worship of God with the people of God. And here we have Jesus declaring and making someone clean. Eliminating and removing the isolation. And eliminating and removing the barrier between the worship of God with the people of God. Amen? These powerful words. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. If you guys have been here long, you know that I am a touch person, right? Hugs, handshakes, an arm around the shoulder, a fist bump, whatever it is. I am someone who loves to be touched and to touch. We here at Calvary are kind of a hugging community. Now, there's a few of you who kind of skate by with a little bit of one of these. But there is something that a human, we were made. We were made to be together. We were made for intimacy. We were made for touch. Read through the scriptures. See how often Jesus touches people. There is nothing that would have caused any other person in this crowd to touch this leper. Whether in risk or fear of becoming what the leper was, right? Contracting leprosy and becoming a leper. Or becoming unclean even for a season. Being forced into isolation. Unable to participate with the people of God in the house of God. But Jesus touches the untouchable. And rather than get defiled... Rather than get contaminated, rather than being made unclean, what does he do? He contaminates the man with himself. What he is, the man becomes clean. Clean. Not only in the eyes of God, but actually physically healed, clean. The leprosy wiped away. When we meet with God and he touches us, guess what? We too, we too get contaminated. We become more like him than he would ever become like us. See, it's not until the cross that Jesus takes on the sin, the shame, the pain, the sorry of this world that Jesus becomes more like us. It's in that moment proving that he is never more himself than when he is rescuing his people, that Jesus takes that on and gets contaminated for us. Jesus not only heals this man as the sovereign king over his illness, but he also declares him to be clean. As the forever priest who takes away the sin of the world and declares clean those who have been unclean, but he also prepares his way out of the pain of isolation. These two things are going on in all of this. In verse 4, he sends this man to the temple. Why? 
He says, well, go to the temple, go to the priests. Because it was their job to inspect him so that they can tell the community that would love him and re-embrace him that it's safe to do so. Thanks, Rick. He sends this guy to the temple. It's kind of the icing on the cake. The path back into society and into worship. Friends, I don't know what stigma you might be carrying around with you. I don't know what labels you walk around with. What labels have kept you from entering or walking into the doors of a church, our church or any other church at any point? I don't know what label you put on yourself that keeps you from experiencing the presence of God when you open your scripture at night or in the morning to read, seeking God and hear nothing. But what I do know, what I do know is that we worship a God who removes the isolation and the uncleanness that would keep us either from people, from his people, from the people of God, or keeps us from himself. This is the Christ child in the manger. The one that they have been waiting for. The one they had been waiting for, and friends, the one that we might still be waiting for even today. He is sovereign king. He is the forever priest, and he is the prophet. In this passage, he demonstrates his call to speak for God. And that's what a prophet is. A prophet is one who speaks for God. In verse 3, let me pause on these words because they're as powerful as the physical touch that Jesus makes. Jesus says, I will speak to you. Jesus says, I will be clean. We meet the God here who wills to heal us and to make us clean. And what we can remember here at Calvary, if you've been with us for very long, we've been working our way through the book of John. One of the major themes in the book of John, and Zane covered this just a few weeks ago, is that when Jesus speaks, who's he speaking for? God. John 3, 34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. John 12, 49, the passage we looked at just a few weeks ago. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And jumping to the end of verse 50, what I say, therefore, I saw as the Father has told me. What this means is that when Jesus speaks, there is not a careless word. But he's speaking the very words of God. And so when this leper turns to him and says, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus responds, responds I will be clean. He is speaking for God. It's God who wills this. 
Some of us have this distorted picture. We see God the Father and we see Jesus. We see God the Father is kind of grumpy and mean, and we see Jesus kind of loving us and hugging us and cuddling us. No, they're together. They're the same, right? What the Father thinks, the Son thinks. What the Father does, the Son does. In fact, Jesus says, there's nothing that I do that's not about him. He's the prophet speaking the very word of God. And what he's saying should drive you and I to worship. It should drive us to the feet of Jesus, to God. Because he's saying that what God wills, what God wants, is that this leper would be cleansed. And it is not hard for us to move from there to the idea that what God wants for you is that you would be cleansed and healed. God's desire for us is that we would be healed from this broken world, restored to the way things were supposed to be. Now what we don't know is whether or not he is going to heal us in every way that we ask, or that he is going to heal this physical ailment, or this mental one, or whatnot. We know there will be a day when it will happen in eternity, when there is no weakness we have now that will outlive our eternity. But God wills our good. And the good of this leper in this moment is that he would be healed. That he would be cleansed. That he would be restored to society and to the worship of God. Jesus speaks for God here. His words are never false. They're always true. We worship a God who desires our good and sometimes, I just want you to know, that does include healing. For some of us, we have gotten to the habit of not praying for healing because we expect it's not going to happen. Or we don't pray for this because we think that God is doing this. What if God is looking to work a miracle through you? And through the prayers of the people, together. Jesus speaks. He says, I will, I will, I want, I desire to be clean. Because he is the prophet, and he's speaking for the Lord. King, priest, and prophet. Lofty, but you see how it starts playing out for this one lonely man on the mountainside? Church, let me ask you this question. How does king, priest, and prophet work out in here for you? See, Jesus is who he is. He's never been less. He'll never be more. He is your king, your priest, and your prophet. It's not just big words. He is to this leper what he can be to you. 
I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you, actually. Let me say that. I do know about you, and I know about me. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need Jesus to be what Jesus has been, what he was to this man. We need Jesus. See, I can't speak for you, because I know it's true. I need Jesus. There's not a day that goes by that I don't need king and priest and prophet in my life. And I will declare to you today that he is those to me. The question I have for you is he those to you. Are you someone who has made, invited Christ to be those in your life? Or are you someone who's still been sitting on the fence wondering whether or not, wondering whether or not it's time, whether, whether or not you actually want to do this, whether or not he is actually real. If you have never made that commitment to say, Lord, you are my king, that's where it starts usually, by the way. Um, you're my king, you're my priest. We add prophet later <laughs> because we don't really want God to tell us what to do until we realize that he is a good king and he is a good priest. But if you've never made that decision, I invite you to do so. In fact, I beg you to do so right now. Do not walk out the door today without making that decision to follow Jesus. Do not walk out of your living room, if you're at home watching this, without making that decision. It's the best thing you could ever do. Imagine for a moment this leper. He wakes up that morning and he thinks, you know what, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm just going to stay hunkered down today. And the next day, Jesus wanders off, wanders to another town, another place. The leper never would have known what he missed, but he would have missed it. Do not make the mistake of missing the opportunity to make Jesus your king, your priest, and your prophet. He died on the cross that you would be saved. He did the work that we could receive it. If you are a Christian and you're sitting there thinking, you know, I've done a pretty good job of priest, of letting him be my priest or making him my priest, but king, not so much. Or prophet, I don't know if I really want to hear. But we have a great opportunity even as we worship. And this is true every time we worship. To find in us those moments where we don't measure up and to confess it before the Lord, to repent and to seek him and ask him for help in these things. This is one of the many reasons that we take communion, the Lord's Supper, every week after our sermon. Because I know, and we all know, that there are times when we're reading the word and we suddenly realize, I'm not in the right place. And this meal that we're about to partake in is a reminder to us that none of us are in the right place, and none of us ever were going to be in the right place. But Christ was in the right place at the right time that we could be saved. So if there is sin in your life, if there is a falling short or a missing the mark that God has set for you, then know now is the time to confess that to the Lord, to pray. Give that to him, and when you come down, receive the, the, the cup and the bread as a reminder that Christ has done this for you. Or maybe you 
are standing here saying, yes, absolutely, but I don't know how. I need strength. I need, I need help in this. Christ is our help. And so we remember that Christ has helped us along the way. See, communion can represent a lot of different things to us at any given time. And I think the Lord intended that, that we would remember him in all of those different times. 